As we lift up the name of Jesus, we praise him this morning in everything that we do from the very beginning to the end of the service. Let's worship his precious name. Hope for all the world, you came down, traded heaven's throne for a sinner's
Jesus, we lift up. The word of God says, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. And we're trusting that promise to be true today. Hey, we want to introduce to you a new hymn today, and it was written by some of today's greatest hymn writers back early this uh, spring, back in about February, and it was for Easter Sunday, but we didn't have Easter Sunday here at the church building. We had it online, and so then we're going to introduce it the Sunday after Easter, but we didn't meet then either. So guess what? Today is the opportunity to introduce this wonderful new hymn, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. It has such a rich text to it. The whole hymn is based on the opening question of the 350-year-old Heidelberg Catechism. And that opening question says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Christ our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds 
of the Lord. When I hear this song, it just reminds me of what Apostle Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What a privilege it is to know the Lord, to be filled with His Spirit and use these days on this earth for His glory. And then knowing when that day comes, those ordained days that He has for us, when we go off into eternity, we're going to be at home with Christ forever and ever. Amen? Amen. That is awesome. It's a great to be able to sing about what God has done for us. Now, at this time, we just like to say welcome. You might actually be online today or here in this service. If this is your first time, we just want to say we are so glad that you're here. We want to encourage you, if you get an opportunity, to go to fbcmail.info slash connect. Fill out that card, and we'll be sure to be able to follow up with you, answer any questions that we might have here as far as our church. Um, any way we can pray for you, encourage you, we definitely want to do that. And so I encourage you to fill out that card. Now at this time, we're going to welcome each other, but you know last week, Scott came out, he had the fonds, he had all these different things to try to greet people with. Well, he came in his staff and he said, you know what, at the red tent out there, I'm going to get the Mickey Mouse gloves so everybody can wave like that. And so today, this is what we're going to do. If you can turn to your neighbor, just greet them with a big handshake, I mean, wave. Awesome. It is great to be back. Just encourage you, if you can, you can have a seat now. <clears throat> I want to take just a few minutes this morning just to say thank you to so many of our volunteers that really helped us as we've been going through this pandemic. Um, so many things have happened behind the scenes. For us, everything that takes place online, there's been a team up here meeting on Saturday nights, committed to use their gifts and talents to bring the technology to be able to do that. Spent on many, many hours, and so to our tech team, we just want to say thank you so much for using your gifts to be able to serve the Lord. I mean, we've had so many other things that have happened from being able to do a lot of ministry over at Riviera Elementary and to continue, continue to partner there and to love those families to all the food distributions, the things that's happened at this church. I can tell you as a pastor, I am overwhelmed 
by the generosity and the gifts and the food that come in week after week. We've been able to hand out around 300 bags every Sunday night. It's been going for 10 weeks. And probably about 95 to 98% of that has come from our church family, which I am just blown away by. And um, so many people that have come up here to help put those bags together, and then our team that have come out here on Sunday night just to be able to hand them to the community. You can also see we've had life group leaders that have put on Zoom meetings to keep Bible studies going. So many people that have stepped up, and we as a pastoral team want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for using your gifts and not letting this pandemic get us to the place that we're not being faithful with the days that God gives us to be able to use them for his glory. So let me pray. I want to pray for the volunteers, but pray that we're going to continue to be on mission, that God would use these days for his glory in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful again for the privilege to come back together here to be able to see one another and to be able to meet and to come into a place of worship, to worship you, the King of Kings, to be under your word, to be encouraged. Father, I pray that you will just continue to work here in a powerful way. God, we thank you so much for each one of the volunteers. It's so awesome to see your body, how you have uniquely made each one of us so different, given a different gift sets and passions, but that we can use our gifts to serve you and to bring you glory. And so, God, that's been on display over the last two or three months. And so, God, we ask that you will continue to fill us with your spirit. God, we desperately need the fruit of your spirit. We need that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, God, that that would be evidence and flowing over in our lives as we have a chance to love the people that we come in contact with each and every day. So God, again, we thank you. You are the King of Kings. We come to worship you today. We pray that everything that's said and done in this room this morning will bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's so good to have the choir back leading us in worship. Amen. That anthem, with Jesus I can take it. My life is in your hands has been what we've called our Corona National Anthem. We have been singing that. Choir's been rehearsing every week on Facebook all these many weeks. Staying together and just singing every Wednesday night with each other and for the Lord. And that song, we've done it every week. Just reminding us with what we're going through and what's happening all around us. That our lives are not of our own doing, but they are in the hands of the Lord. And he knows what is best. And his grace is sufficient for every need that we have. Would you stand and let's sing of the grace of God.
salvation in no other name but the name of our God who is mighty to save. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed.
Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you today for our Savior. Father, I thank you in my own life for saving me by the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that I know you have worked in the hearts of so many of my brothers and sisters in this place and listening right now who have also been saved by the name of Jesus. Father, I pray if there is one in this place, one listening that has not yet been saved through your name, that today they would call on your name and find life and grace, the peace, the hope that you want to give us through your Son and your Son alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The one that I want to talk to you about today has many names. His name is Wonderful. His name is the Almighty. His name is the Prince of Peace. His name is the Second Adam. His name is the Author of Life. His name is the beginning and the end. His name is the bridegroom. His name is the branch of Jesse. His name is the bread of life. His name is the cornerstone. His name is creator. Yes, his name is Christ. His name is the good shepherd. His name is the deliverer. His name is Emmanuel. His name is our great high priest. His name is the mediator, our Messiah, the bright and morning star. His name is the Holy One. His name is the King Eternal. His name is the Lamb of God. His name is the light of the world. His name is the resurrection and the life. Church, his name is the Lion of Judah. His name is the Lord of Glory. His name is the Mighty One. His name is the Nazarene. His name is the Only Begotten of the Father. His name is our Passover. His name is our Righteousness. His name is the Redeemer. His name is the Rock. His name is the Son of David and the Son of Man and the Son of God. His name is the Firstborn from the Dead. His name is the Head of the Church. His name is the Alpha and the Omega. His name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His name is the Great I Am. His name is the name above every name. His name is Jesus. And I hope that you know him. And if you don't know him, I want to introduce you to him, I pray, today. Church, if you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, the passage that was just read for us. I want to talk to you today about the name of Jesus. And what a beautiful, powerful name it is. I want to show you from this story four truths about the name of Christ. And here's the first one. The name of Jesus is the one name that divides. We're picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in the book of Acts, which is the story, really, of the early church and what they did or 
really what God did through them, to be more precise. In chapter 3, two of the apostles, Peter and John, walked into the temple about 3 in the afternoon. As they were walking past the gate called the Beautiful Gate, they saw a man who was lying there who had been crippled from the time he was born, and he was begging them for money. And Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said to him, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And instantly this man's legs that up until that time, from the time he had been born, were weak and contorted, became instantly straight and strong. And this man sprang to his feet. This man who had not taken one step in his entire life was quite literally jumping and bounding around the temple courtyard, praising God. Because the power of the name of Jesus had healed him. You can imagine that what happened to this man caused quite a stir, quite a commotion. And soon a crowd formed around this man and around Peter and around John. And Peter took that opportunity to preach to this crowd about Jesus, how it was Jesus who healed this man, and how it was Jesus who could save any of them who would put their faith in his name. We're going to see in a minute that there were some in the crowd that day who believed but not everyone. We're calling this series Jesus' Approval Rating. Because what we're going to see, and we're going to see it today, is that while some people approved of Jesus and some people believed in Jesus, others emphatically did not. To borrow from some modern terminology, they were triggered by the very name of Jesus. The very mention of his name set them off. And the people who were angry with Peter and John were not nobodies. These were people of great influence. They were the religious leaders of the day. The very same people who just a short time before put Jesus on trial and convinced Pontius Pilate to put him to death on the cross. Now these guys had their sights set on two of Jesus' closest followers. Verse 1 breaks down for us who they were. They were the priests or the Levites who ministered in the temple. The captain of the temple was there. That was the second highest ranking official, second only to the high priest, whose job was to keep order in the temple precincts. The Sadducees were there. This was a group that didn't believe in any resurrection from the dead at all. And so they thought what Peter was speaking about, that Jesus had been raised from the dead, was utter nonsense. But also, I think you get the feeling that they weren't just upset with what Peter and John were teaching because they thought it wasn't true. They also were upset for another reason. They were upset because what Peter and John were teaching threatened them. It threatened their position. It threatened their power. It, it, it threatened their influence over the people. And so they wanted them silenced immediately. And so really they didn't even wait for Peter to finish his sermon before they came up and laid hands on him and John and possibly the lame man too because he shows up the next day in the trial. They arrested them, held them for the night to await their trial the following morning. It's clear that some of those who heard Peter speak were angry about it. But there was a division. There was a division in the crowd. You can see that in verse 4. Verse 4 says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 
thousands. So some who heard Peter preach that day about Jesus, believed in Jesus, became followers of Christ. And now Luke, who's writing this book for us, this history for us, he gives us an update on the growth of the church. This church that started with just 120 people in that upper room when the book of Acts began had grown to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now is at 5,000 and really it just says this was the men. So the true number of the church, including women and children, could have been many times that by this point. So this division about Jesus is so plain to see. There are some who believe and others who are bothered. Some who are saved and others who are seething. And the spiritual principle here is one we cannot miss. This division that was caused by the name of Christ is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is something that still happens today. The name of Jesus Christ always brings a division. Now, now some people, even some well-meaning Christians, don't feel that way. They think that because one of the names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that whenever we speak about Jesus, there should be peace. And, and yet Jesus himself told us that's not going to be the case. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. He said this, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? It's a question. He says, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now listen, elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus does tell us that there will one day be peace on earth when he is reigning as king on the earth. But in Luke 12, he's not talking about that. He's talking about what's going on right now in our lives and in our families and in our world. And what he wants us to know is that his name is not always going to unite people together. In fact, very often it's going to cause a division, even in families. Listen, I've seen that. I have seen families where where a a couple of people in the family are really passionate about following after Christ and some other people in the family really resent that and really don't like that and it causes a division even in the same household. I've seen it in marriages where maybe the husband gets saved or the wife gets saved and they're passionate about the Lord but their spouse resents it. Who is this person that now loves this person called Jesus more than anything? Causes a division. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that as Christ's followers, we should be happy about divisions taking place because we're called to seek peace with everyone as much as it depends upon us. And yet we know sometimes, according to Jesus, that when we get serious about following Christ, there will be some in the world who will not like it. Some that it will cause them to be uncomfortable. They will disagree. They will even resent it. And sometimes those people in our life that are the most uncomfortable are the people who are closest to us, even our own family members. So as much as it saddens us, it shouldn't shock us when that happens because Jesus told us that it would. His name is a dividing line. His name divides. 
So if the name of Jesus is so divisive, then why do we keep talking about him so much and saying that everyone needs to turn to him and believe in him? It's because of the second truth about his name. Not only is his name the one that divides, but his name is the one name that saves. The next morning, the stage was set for the trial of Peter and John. In verses 5 through 7, it's almost like a camera is panning around the courtroom and showing us everyone that's sitting there, everyone that's a part of this trial. The judge and the jury were made up of the 71 members of the Jewish Supreme Court, which was called the Sanhedrin. The head of that group was the high priest, the chief priest named Caiaphas. His father-in-law, Annas, was there also, who was formerly the high priest, and as you see in the text, still bore that title. The members of the court would have been seated in concentric semicircles, very intimidating fashion as they all surrounded and faced Peter and John standing there in the middle on trial. And, you know, in the erudite opinion of these learned scribes, Peter and John appeared to them like a couple of country bumpkin hayseeds that were not worthy of their time. In verse 7, it was probably Caiaphas who voiced the opening question of the trial. By what power or by what name have you done this? Now that question was more of an accusation, but Peter took it as an invitation. In church, we should do the same. We should look for invitations in our conversations to point people to Jesus. I think verse 8 is so key when it says this. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And what Peter is about to say is so simple and so powerful and so bold because it wasn't really Peter talking at all. It was the Holy Spirit within Peter that was speaking. Peter remembered the words that Christ spoke to them sometime before. Look at these words in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. He said, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now Peter was prepared because he relied on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filled him. And church, it's no different for us today. We will not be prepared to speak in moments like this when our faith is being attacked unless we also are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There's no way that when your faith is under fire that you in the flesh are going to be able to give a response in that situation that is remotely going to honor and glorify God. We need the filling of his Holy Spirit in every moment, in every situation. Verses 9 through 12 is the heart of Peter's message to these men. He starts out by pointing out that what they had done after all was a good thing. He said, this is a good deed that was done to a helpless man. You're asking us by what means he was made to walk. And so in verse 10, Peter leaves no doubt about that. It was through the name of Jesus Christ who made him to walk. And then he says, while I have you for a few minutes, let me tell you a little bit more about who this Jesus is that made him to walk. He says, he's the same one that you crucified. There's, there's an opener. But that God raised from the dead. And then in verse 11, he quotes from Psalm 118. Look at that with me. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
Jesus used that same verse at the end of his parable of the vineyard and applied that verse to himself. And now Peter does the same. And it's not really a mystery what he's saying. The builders were the religious leaders that were sitting in front of him. They were the builders of the nation of Israel. And he's saying, you have looked at Christ and you've rejected him. You're on your construction site. You saw the stone that is Jesus Christ and you chucked it to the side. You have rejected him. But he's pointing out the contrast between their opinion of Jesus and God's opinion of Jesus. And he's saying this stone that you've thrown to the side that you have rejected, God has made that stone not just one of the stones in the building. He's made it the chief cornerstone. The whole building is being built on top of Christ. He's at the very center of what God is doing in the world and the kingdom that he is right now building. So their rejection of Jesus implicitly said that they were inviting God's judgment upon them. But Peter is also saying to them that there is still time by God's grace to change that judgment. There's still time, even for them, to change their view towards Jesus and to see him for who he really was and to be saved. That's why he says what he does in verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was an invitation to them. And it's an invitation to us to believe in him, to turn from him to him. You know, if we're going to accept that invitation, though, there's a couple things we need to understand. The first thing we need to understand and admit is that we are all sinners who need a Savior. That's why at the very end of verse 12, he says, by which we must be saved. Because we all must be saved. And the reason why we must be saved is, again, because we're all sinners who have sinned against God. And if we die in that condition and stand before God as unforgiven sinners, then everywhere the Bible tells us that we should expect to receive the certain, final, and eternal judgment of God upon our lives. That's why we must be saved. But also we need to recognize that Verse 12 teaches us there is only one name that can possibly save us. And that name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter has basically every way he can think of to say that truth in verse 12. Three different ways he said it. He said, nor is there salvation by any other. Then he says, there's no other name under heaven. That means in all the earth. Then he says, there's no other name given among men. That means in all of humanity, three different ways, three different phrases. He's saying the same thing. The only name that saves anybody is the name of Jesus. Now, the word for that kind of teaching is the word exclusive. This verse clearly teaches that salvation is exclusively found in Jesus. But that kind of exclusive message is not the kind of message that our inclusive society likes to hear. And because of that, many people try to soften this truth. They will say, well, you know, in the end, uh, I'm sure God will save everyone no matter what. Or they'll say, in the end, God will save everyone. Yes, maybe still through Jesus, but he'll save them even if they didn't believe in Jesus, but they were sincere in whatever faith they did hold. But the Bible doesn't teach that. It may seem to be more loving or more tolerant to us to 
say that there are many ways to God and many ways to be saved, but it's not actually more loving, church, if it is not true. If there really is only one way to God, then it's actually wicked and hateful to tell people that there's more than one way when there is, in fact, not more than one way. We must love people enough to tell them the truth that Jesus is the only way, even if that means that in our society we will be labeled as intolerant and narrow-minded. Let's not forget, though, that we were not the ones who came up with this exclusive idea. It is our Savior, Jesus, who said these words in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' name is the one name that saves. It's the one name that divides. Number three, it's also the one name that is censored. After Peter finished his sermon in verse 12 and verse 13, it says that the Jewish leaders were in awe, not so much because they believed in Jesus, but because they could not believe that these untrained and uneducated country boys were able to speak with them about scripture in such a bold way. You see that word boldness there. We're going to talk more about that next week on Father's Day, because that's a quality that is greatly, greatly needed in the church and in our culture today, boldness. I love the line at the end of verse 13 where it says they marveled because even though they were untrained, they realized that they had, quote, been with Jesus. Now, we can't know for sure what they meant by that. I think they probably were remembering back to the way Jesus handled Scripture, even though he also had not been trained in their rabbinic schools, and yet he was able to answer uh, their questions and to handle Scripture with such authority that they were not able to refute him. And now they're seeing that same kind of quality in Jesus' closest followers. But stepping back a minute, just when you look at that phrase, that they've been with Jesus, what a beautiful thing to have someone say about you as a follower of Christ. Friend, when people look at your life, would they realize that you have been with Jesus? Would they say, oh, that's why he acts like that? Because he's a Christian. Because he's been with Jesus. When they listen to the way you talk to people, would they say, that's why they talk that way. That's why she's so sweet and kind and gracious with her speech, because she's been with Jesus. She's a Christian. There's nothing more attractive than that. And yet, the aroma of having been around Jesus is something that cannot be faked. You only get that smell on you if you've actually spent time in his presence. So here's the truth I want to put before us. This is what I would call us to. Church, let's spend time with Jesus like they did so that we can remind people of Jesus so that we can point people to Jesus, right? That's simple enough. Let's spend time with Jesus so we remind people of Jesus so we can point people to Jesus. As far as the trial goes, though, the Sanhedrin knew they had no case. There was no denying that a great miracle had been done. They couldn't say anything about that. And so in verse 15, they asked for a brief recess of the court. They sent Peter and John out of the room and they kind of huddled together and they said, guys, what are we going to do here? I mean, this is no bueno. This is no good. I mean, clearly this miracle has been done. Everybody knows that. 
Uh, we can't do anything to them. The crowd thinks they're a bunch of heroes. What are we going to do? Only thing we can do is just to tell them to be quiet and hope they listen. And so in verse 18, that's what they do. Look at that verse with me. But Peter, excuse me, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They were saying, just, just cut it out. No more talking to anyone about Jesus. You know, in a way, don't you feel like that is the message that our culture is giving to the church today? Just cut it out and no more talking about this Jesus to anybody. Uh, a day or two ago, as a part of sermon research, I guess, I, I put a question out on my Facebook page and I just asked folks, you know, when, when in your life have you seen or when have you seen in our culture where the name of Jesus has been censored. People responded with different stories, things in their life, things they've seen in the news and sent me those articles. And, and several people talked about times in their own life where they had been asked to pray somewhere at some function or some event, but then they had been pulled aside and told, but make sure you don't pray in the name of Jesus. A pastor friend of mine told me about that. An article about a Navy chaplain commanded, not pray in Jesus' name. But, but it's not just not praying in Jesus' name that our culture is after. It, they also want to censor just talking about Jesus in general. We live in a culture that is using intimidation and all kinds of other means to silence Christians and particularly to silence Christian viewpoints on cultural hot-button topics. And when you step back and look at it, there's actually certain professions certain jobs in our culture that you cannot hold anymore if you hold to a Christian viewpoint. Many scientists, for example, will be shamed or driven out of their academic post if they admit that they hold to a creationist view of the origin of the world. Not allowed to hold that view and hold certain academic posts. But it's not just creation versus evolution that will get you into trouble. If, if you hold to what the Bible teaches about homosexuality, if you hold to what the Bible teaches about marriage being between one man and one woman for life, if you hold to what the Bible teaches about gender, that God has uh, created us, male and female, in his image, and it's not for us to change that. If you believe in any of those biblical foundational beliefs, and you speak about them, there are many positions that you will not be able to hold in our culture today. They are prohibited. Espousing them can get you labeled as bigots, can get you fired. And so Christians are faced with a choice today. What will they do? Will they either water down what it means to be a Christian? Will they do all kinds of hermeneutical gymnastics to try to get the Bible to say something that it doesn't actually say? Many try that. Or will they just be silent about their views so that they don't get in trouble? I think most probably choose that path. Or will they step up and speak out? And if they do, in many cases, a steep price will be paid. And I hope you hear me. I'm not speaking about our American First Amendment rights of freedom of speech. I'm not saying whether this should be happening. That's beside the point. I'm just saying what we all know, that this is happening. And I'm not saying it either to whine about it or complain about it. Honestly, our brothers and sisters around the world have dealt with far worse for centuries. 
The question that I want to ask you, though, is, Christian, as a follower of Christ, are you willing to be censored because of your outspoken faith in Jesus? If it should come to it in our culture, are you willing to be arrested like Peter and John were arrested here for nothing other than speaking about Jesus? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing even to be killed if that's what it means for you to follow Christ? When you truly know Jesus, even when that persecution comes, you're still willing to speak about his name because you can't help speaking about his name. That's the fourth truth I want us to see. Jesus' name is the one name that you can't keep to yourself. After hearing their threats, after hearing the high court's order not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, Peter and John did not stand there shaking their heads as if they agreed with that. They definitely didn't say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll pipe it down. No, they didn't do that either. They point blank said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And look at what they said in verses 20 and 20, or 19 and 20. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now one way of looking at this is that this is a clear case of civil disobedience. Where that civil disobedience was necessary. Just like Moses' parents put Moses in the basket against the command of Pharaoh story that we looked at on Mother's Day. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to go into the fiery furnace rather than to bow down to a false god. Just like Daniel was willing to be thrown into a den of lions rather than to stop praying to God. Here is another example where the law of man goes against the law of God and our allegiance is to God. So they said, we can't obey that command. But I, I don't think that the only reason why they couldn't keep silent is because it would be wrong to do so. I, I think it's also because they couldn't help it. That's what they say. They said, we can't stop telling the things that we have seen and heard. I, I'm sure the Sanhedrin didn't like that response very much. But again, there was nothing else they can do. So they threatened them some more and let them go. And that's where we'll pick up the story next week. And we talked about how the name of Jesus divides, how the name of Jesus, something that our culture is coming against, the same way that the Sanhedrin did back then. They're trying to censor, trying to silence the name of Jesus. But our reaction and our response needs to be the same as that of the disciples here. We cannot stop telling the things that we've seen and heard. Because frankly, we've heard too much. We've heard too much of the truth of God's word. To let it go, to not speak out about it. And we've seen too much. We've seen too much of the power of God in our life, what he does in our hearts, how he's changed us and saved us and shown us grace. We've seen too much to be quiet about it. We can't stop talking about the name of Jesus. Because again, it's the only name that saves and we all need saving. And some of you may not know that my wife, uh, Megan, and I have four sons. And, you know, when we got to uh, number four, we were expecting our fourth son. Now, we had a hard time picking out a name for him because, you know, we had like three boy names on our list and they were all gone, right? So we were at the end of our list. And I think at that time we were going through the book of Hebrews in our church. And so I joked that we were going to name him Melchizedek. If, if I couldn't think of anything better, we were going we to roll with that. 
And uh, we ended up calling him Zeke, short for, for Ezekiel. But, but I remember, you know, during those days, and I'm sure every parent in this room remembers, whenever you're expecting a child, you're trying to think of a name, right? And so you're pulling out those name books. You're going online to different, you know, baby name sites. And, you know, you're looking at the most popular names each year, the most popular name each decade, right? Most popular name in other countries and things like that. And so, so just as a service to anybody uh, in this uh, service, maybe, that uh, is expecting a child. Uh, I just wanted to help you a little bit. So I, I pulled up a list. Th- these are the most popular names for babies in 2020 this far, right? I'm not going to read the whole list. I'm just give you five boy names, five girl names, all right? So maybe one of these, you know, is, is the name that God wants you to use, all right? So let's, let's share. So five girl names. Here's number one on the list is the name Olivia. I have a wonderful sister-in-law by that name. Love that name. Number two is Emma. Got a, got a niece by that name. Number three is Ava. I've actually got another niece by that name. Uh, number four is Sophia. And then number five is Isabella. And believe it or not, I have another niece by that name. So our family's well represented on the girl list. And for boys, the most popular name this year, number one on the list is Noah. Number one. Number two is Liam. Number three is Elijah. Number four is Oliver. Number five is Lucas. And there's some good names there on that list. Here's the thing I hope you don't miss today. As beautiful as the name Olivia is, the name Olivia cannot save you. And as strong and as good of a name as the name Noah is, the name Noah cannot save you. can't save any of you. My, my name, the name Scott, it can't save you either. And I don't claim to know every single one of your names, but I can already tell you your name can't save you either. Because there's only one name given under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. And as we're going to sing in just a minute, what a beautiful, powerful name it is. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to ask you right now, if you're in this place and you would say, you know what, I need today to put my faith in the name of Jesus. Because I know I need to be saved. We all need to be saved. I must be saved. Or else I'm going to face God's judgment for the sin that I know is in my heart. And I also know today that there's only one name that's ever going to save me. And it's Jesus' name. And if God's speaking to your heart and you know that, you know, number one, I must be saved. And number two, only the name of Jesus will save me. And I want to come and I want to turn from my sin and I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to ask him to be my Lord. I want to follow him in my life. If that's you, I want to ask you to come right now. Speak with me or one of the other pastors here. If you're watching online today, there'll be a link in the comment section on our iCampus. You can let us know about that decision. If you're making that decision today, we'll follow up with you. But if you're in this room right now, want to ask you to come right now and commit your life to Jesus Christ. Let's sing, church, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing
My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name. Pastor Dave, in just a moment, I just want us to end our service singing that, uh, that next verse of that song. What a powerful name it is. And we'll end our service with those words together. But just a couple things to share with you again. Thank you, church, for your faithfulness to be bringing food each and every week. Please continue to do that. At least through the month of June, we plan to keep that ministry going and continue to bless this community with the food that you're bringing. Also, on the way out today uh, is an opportunity to uh, worship the Lord through our giving. We didn't want to pass the plates in the service and have everybody touch those, but just a way, if you want to serve the Lord and honor the Lord through that, you can do that. Of course, continue online in that way. Uh, And then also, we just ask that as you're fellowshipping today if you'd please do that kind of outside of the of the building today just so our cleaning crew can come in and disinfect and get the building ready for our next service Uh, that'll start here in a few minutes but let's end today church by singing these wonderful words what a powerful name is the name of jesus god bless you what a powerful name it is what a powerful name it is the name of jesus christ my covering of that beautiful name of Jesus. God bless you. Have a good week.